You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name's Eric. I'm the co-founder of HolisticNootropics.com. And today on the podcast, I have Harsh Vatsangam. We had an awesome podcast to dive into with Harsh today. But before we do, just a couple housekeeping things. If you are new to the podcast, and please take a moment and remember to subscribe. If you enjoy the podcast, don't be stingy. Leave it a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching the video version of this, then remember to subscribe. Hit that little bell icon. Give it a thumbs up. And if you got any questions, comments, concerns along the way, leave those down in the comments below. Also, if you are someone, if you're a biohacker, if you're a nutrition junkie and you're interested in finding the best quality supplements and nootropics on the market today, then head on over to holisticnootropics.com and download a copy of my free, yes, you heard right, that is free, Supplement Buyer's Guide. It is a fully comprehensive guide that will walk you through ingredient by ingredient on how to find the best quality supplements and nootropic products on the market today. Because let's face it, there is a lot of junk out there on the market. It is a hundred, or I should say the supplement industry is a hundred billion dollar market industry. The United States has the uh, one of the worst medical outcomes of any country in the world. So you can probably tell there's a lot of junk out there. So make sure you don't sell yourself short. Don't sell your body, your temple short. Get the best quality supplements. You go download my free supplement buyer's guide and you will avoid all the bad stuff and make sure you buy only the best, highest quality nootropics and supplements on the market today. And with all that out of the way, let's bring in our guest, Harsh Fatsangam, who is the who is a PhD and the co-founder of the company Moving Analytics, a digital health company helping conquer heart disease and all kinds of causes of death and chronic disease out there. Harsh, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and uh, happy to have a very fun conversation. That's yeah, cool. I'm, I'm excited. You know, we're going to talk about, uh, we're, we're going to take a little, uh, a little veer off the normal path of the podcast and uh, talk about, you know, some businessy stuff, um, which is cool, you know, or at least the business side of the healthcare industry, like the actual application of healthcare itself, because, you know, as much as I like to talk about, uh, you know, biohacking and nutrition and supplementation and the body and all these things, there's this whole other side of it of like, how do we actually utilize healthcare in our lives? And of mm -hmm. course, this is one of the hottest political topics you're going to find. I mean, it's something that literally affects everybody uh, in the United States at the very least and many people around the world. So um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, but before we jump into all that, I know you have a very interesting backstory, a wide ranging set of cultures behind you. So uh, you've seen the world. Uh, and I would love to know your story. How did you get into this world of uh, of uh, of healthcare? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, interesting story about me is you know I've um, lived and worked in four countries. Um, I was born in India, and uh, when I was very young, my parents moved me and my sister to the Middle East, where uh, we grew up in this place uh, called Doha, Qatar. And which is, you know, for the soccer fans out there, the next uh, World Cup location next year. And um, uh, you know, I came back to India to do my uh, undergrad degree um, and um, also lived and worked in Australia during that time period. 
and then came to the US for grad school, right? So uh, when I joined grad school, I was actually interested in robotics and I really want to do some fun thing in robotics and AI and things that are, you know, kind of the hot topics today. Um, and, uh, you know, what happened though, was that somehow, uh, I think it was a combination of fate and also my interest was that I ended up working in this project that basically would take body worn sensors on your body. Uh, and then it would sense physiological signals, like how many calories you burn and so on. This is like before Fitbit, by the way, or before Garmin and all those uh, things out there. And um, we actually use it a lot in helping uh, people uh, uh, essentially manage their chronic conditions like diabetes and weight management and so on. Um, and uh, it, it was just a thing where the more I got dragged into it, the more I liked it, the more I started working. So I worked a lot with the preventive medicine department there and so on. Uh, to, towards the end, uh, essentially, I, I felt that it was probably my going to be my mission to essentially help people lead and live healthier lives uh, and uh, leverage technology to see to scalably deliver uh, ways to help people lead healthier lives. And uh, the company itself came from uh, a chance meeting that I had with the American Heart Association, uh, along with my two other co-founders, where uh, essentially uh, they said, hey, you know, you're helping um, people uh, exercise more, eat better. There's this application of this in the medical space called uh, cardiac rehabilitation, which is uh, basically a rehab program uh, uh, after someone has a heart attack or heart surgery to help them eat better, eat, exercise better, and then not get a second heart attack. And so that was our first time we figured out what it was, but we just fell in love with the problem and we've been working on that since as well. Wow. That's amazing. And that's so cool that like the genesis of your company is from this very specific problem of, uh, brought to you by the American Heart Association who recognizes that, Hey, um, you know, yeah, we're doing everything we can to prevent that first heart attack, but yeah. you know what we got a huge, another problem with are the second heart attacks. And yeah. you guys seem to have the answer for that. Um, and, as someone who's never had a heart attack, but, uh, you know, definitely, uh, I've had members of my family have heart attacks. You know, obviously this is like one of the biggest killers, maybe the biggest killer of, uh, Americans. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem that I don't think we've really figured out. And, uh, and I'm trying to be on the front lines of helping people do that, but, uh, you know, we're not getting, we're not getting through it. It's a very, it's a very complex problem. You know, heart disease is the number one cause of death. It's higher than cancer, higher than, uh, you know, you know some of the COVID related deaths already. Uh, and uh, it's the number one um, cost to the healthcare system, both in terms of direct costs, like procedures and everything you do, but also the indirect costs, which is things like people not being able to go to work or they're uh, not being able to lead uh, self-independent productive lives and so on. Um, the good news though, if any, is that a large part of it is preventable if you can change day-to-day -day behavior. So something like 50 to 60% of it is preventable if you can change things like getting exercising regularly or eating uh, healthy, nutritious food, you know, uh, or, you know, the right supplements, like you mentioned, and uh, uh, making sure you have your meds on time, making sure you quit smoking and so on. 
Um, so yeah, you know as well as I do, like, yes, everyone knows we have to exercise more or eat better, but then we often suffer with, um, you know, individual, environmental, or familial or social factors that prevent us from uh, having, enjoying that healthy lifestyle as well. Um, and I think what cardiac rehab does and uh, what our mission as a company in general is, is to really empower every individual to adopt those healthy behaviors, right? To act as a guide uh, that can help individuals adopt those healthy behaviors and prevent future heart disease, prevent future heart attacks as well. Uh, and uh, the work, way we do uh, work in cardiac rehab is really preventing that second heart attack because studies show that if you actually participate in cardiac rehab, your risk of a second heart attack is cut in half and your risk of living another five years doubles. Uh, and it, you know who would not want that for themselves? So what does, how does your company moving analytics play into that? What specifically do you guys do? So um, the, you know, as I mentioned, cardiac rehab is a life-saving service, right? So, um, but having said that um, 90% of patients don't do it because of issues related to access. Uh, and in particular, uh, minorities, women in uh, just have a much lower than a national average adherence rate. So I said 90%. For uh, minorities and women, it is like 99%. Like it's most of them don't do it. Um, and it's really this question of lifestyle in uh, barriers, right? So you, know, you often you have to choose between uh, work, uh, attending work and uh, attending cardiac rehab, or you have to drive like an hour long distance. I live in LA and you've got to worry about driving one hour to the hospital and then finding parking for another hour, uh, wherever mm -hmm. you are. So all those kinds of uh, environmental factors are just make it really hard to attend. Um, uh, what we felt was that, hey, here's this like huge problem. It affects three and a half million Americans every year. Uh, but 90, 90 or 99% don't get access to this life-saving service. So how can we actually reimagine that service where rather than the people going to people wanting to get going to get that service we take the service to the people uh, and try to meet them where they are and where it's convenient for them and i think that's just a broader uh, conversation we're having in healthcare in general where it rather than people going to a hospital uh, uh, how can we bring the hospital or the medical services to the patient's home or the individual's home and make it convenient for them you know uh, and i think in today's world of netflix and you know uh, all the videos you hulu and everything else you everything is delivered at home instacart delivers at home everything why can't your healthcare be delivered at home and th th that was the sort of like almost the uh, uh, the anger we had that uh, that drove us to come up with a solution like what we do over here so how do you guys execute that? Is this, um, is, are yeah. these like zoom calls with a, with a, uh, with a specialist or, or how does that happen? So the way it works is, um, if you qualify for our program, if your doctor refers you in, um, we contact you, make sure you uh, understand what the program's about. And then we ship you a kit. It's basically a box, which consists of a weight scale, blood pressure cuff, wearable activity tracker. Um, and uh, sometimes we also ship you your own personal smartphone and so on. And uh, uh, we then connect you with a, uh, a nurse who's or an exercise physiologist who's a medically qualified professional with background in cardiovascular care. That person gives you a full workup, right? Like, so essentially they'll figure out your clinical baselines. They'll understand where you are mentally. It's almost like a, your personal trainer who's working with you to really understand where you are at and what your goals are. 
they use that information to then create a customized plan for you or that last the intensive portion of that is for the last 12 weeks which consists of a combination of exercise nutrition changes uh, uh, education counseling uh, and so on and then over a period of 12 weeks you're you basically have these just uh, like zoom calls or uh, video calls where the uh, care manager or coach works with you to really, they, they do a number of things. One is they're just there to listen, you know, they just to what they're there to listen to what you're going through, what is happening in your life, uh, helping you uh, navigate any barriers you're facing. So like patients have questions like, I had this medication and I felt anxiety. I don't know what, what to do about it. Uh, those kinds of questions are there. They, they help you kind of think through and navigate through or connect you to the right doctor to answer more deep questions as well um, and then if you're doing really well they progress you so they're like hey you're doing 30 minutes of walking every day let's bump that up to a higher heart rate uh, uh, so you're more intense going forward uh, and so on uh, after 12 weeks you're then you still get to keep the kit and uh, you transition from an intensive model to a more uh, self-maintenance model where at this point you you know what you need to do and it's all about enhancing and making it permanent for the rest of your life. And your coach is available to you during that time period for any kind of text-based questions you may have and so on as well. So that that's the idea behind the program. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, this whole kind of telehealth um, revolution that's happening right now, it's, yeah. it, I guess you could say it is really probably the best silver lining of COVID um, mm-hmm. to know that not like it's possible to go see a doctor through, without leaving your home, you know, yeah. or a specialist or a trainer or a nutritionist or whatever it is. And you're right. For a lot of people, the barrier to, to getting these services, just simply getting in the car and going, because you're right. Like in a place like LA who has an hour plus depending on the day to sit in traffic. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah. this is all over the country, you know, the, the sitting in traffic to get to an appointment, you know, taking time off of work, taking time away from your family. Um, now people are getting, people are seeing doctors, not even in their home city. You know, people are seeing doctors that they've heard on podcasts or have popular YouTube channel who they, they know they connect with. They go, I like this person's style. I like this functional doctor's, um, approach to medicine. I like this car, you know, whatever it is, you can see that person now you can be in Florida and see a doctor in Washington state. Right. Um, And so this is, this is such an, a, a cool innovation that is just, sure, of course, we still need to go see the doctor in person. You know, okay. of course you need, there, there's certainly that way of doing things, but most of the doctor's appointments out there, you don't, don't need that. You know, most of the doctor's appointments out there are just like, you know, okay, what, you know, let's check your vitals. You're sending them the box to check those vitals along with these trackers. And of course, that's a whole thing in itself with the technology to be using wearables to track people's heart rate and, um, uh, you know, all those different metrics they check for, you know, uh, cardiovascular issues. Uh, so this is this is definitely, a, you know, groundbreaking stuff. Yeah, th- thank you for those kind words. And I think it's, yeah, you're right in that uh, a doctor's brand and reach now is not just their neighborhood or their, you know, their zip code. It's, it's the entire country. Right. And then the implication you have is how does that, you know, when you can get access to the best doctor anywhere, uh, uh, how does that, how does that affect how doctors treat their patients? Right. Like in terms of, um, you know, um, just the scalability of their, uh, of the 24 hours in the day they have. And then on the patient side, how does, how does that uh, 
uh, affect how they reach the uh, find and search for their doctors. And you know, in today's world, it's very transparent which doctor is doing a good job and who's not, and so on. And and I th- I think that it has. I think overall, it's very good for the healthcare system that you're promoting this fluidity in um, uh, getting access to the best care, regardless of geography or location as well. Uh, I, I, I don't think that it, we're, it's going to be completely 100% virtual. I know there's talk of like the better worse and everything nowadays, but like I, I do think there is a, the, a, a place for in-person care and just like face-to-face care, uh, most likely around uh, more intense indications or conditions that you may have uh, but I, I doesn't have to be an in-person first i think it can be a virtual first and then taking you into in-person care but as and when you need it as well yeah i, th- I think you're right about that i think there's um it's all changing right before our eyes, man. Because again, uh, you know, I I wasn't even saying this at the beginning to reference it back in the podcast, but the fact that when you look at the chronic disease numbers in the United States and just how, I mean, broken the system is, you know, when you spend, I mean, exponentially more than even the second, uh, you know, the second ranked country in the world of how much they spend in healthcare. Like we, yeah. I don't know who's second to us. Maybe it's Canada, maybe it's Japan or, um, a country in Europe or whatever. Um, I mean, we blow away other countries as far as how much yeah. we spend on healthcare. And the yeah. fact that when you, you have to go down, what are we like the 30th, 40th, 50th ranked country, as far as like how healthy our population is. Um, yeah. I think the most recent set I saw was 42% of Americans are obese, not even overweight obese you know um i mean one in what is it one in five adults has type 2 diabetes one in 20 kids has type 2 diabetes you know and it's only getting worse right because the younger generate the kids now have the adult onset diabetes you know the kids have the autoimmune issues they have uh i mean allergies up the wazoo and the fact is, is like, we don't have the waiting rooms to keep all these people um, who need to see the doctor. And then you start putting COVID on top of it. And then you okay. start putting all of the stuff that didn't happen because we had to make room for COVID. And now you're just looking at like, I mean, uh, medical waiting room, I mean, just disasters. Yeah, it, it, I, I think healthcare, someone once told me that um, this is a public health person who told me that um, it's not entirely accurate to say that health, uh, bad health or you know chronic diseases are unprofitable because there are entire industries that are built around sitting. You know, uh, uh, so there's like you sit in the car and you drive to work. Uh, you sit in a movie theater or, or at least pre-COVID, you sit in movie theaters. Uh, you sit in a restaurant, yeah, uh, and so on. So it, it, you know, there's that whole like. Uh, industry that's built around just having people sit for long hours, like Netflix binge watching is just long sitting for hours. Right. So, so I think that uh, as a society, we'll probably have to just take a call and say, look, we're going to purposely design our lives around healthy options. Right. And that means it's not just 
changing your hospital or doctor. It's it's also like designing your neighborhoods in a way that it encourages walking and it's safe and uh, safe and okay to walk, uh, or uh, the ability to take public transport uh, more and and so on, so that you have access to care without needing to take a car out and so on. Um, and then there's a lot of education and counseling and. Um, you know, just environmental factors that I think, particularly with COVID, have come to the fore because, you know, there are a lot of people they're working at home. They're um, uh, they're they you know they don't necessarily have all the social interactions they used to have. They have that can cause potential mental health issues, which can then result in them uh, not exercising enough because they're not in a good state mentally and so on. So I I think there's just like this whole systemic thing that as a society we have to commit to, uh, and then. Uh, bring out like education campaigns and so on uh, that, that can help support a lot of these efforts. It's not, it's not a one day fix. I think a generational fix will have to do as well. Generational fix is, is probably the best way I've heard somebody describe yeah. what's needed in this system because there, there is no politician, there is no policy, there is no bill that can possibly get passed that's going to just transform the medical system. You know, they yeah. tried to do that, what, 10, 11 years ago when they passed the Affordable Care Act, that just made things worse. Um, yeah. You know, the fundamental generational change, I think it's being seen already, you know, like I come from this yeah. background of like biohacking and and um, uh, yeah. health optimization, holistic health. That's where I'm, that's where my focus is. And at the end of the day, all holistic health is, is just preventative health you know, and it's mm -hmm. the real preventative health. Like they say, Oh, go get a mammogram. That's preventative health. Or, you know, go get your, uh, you know, for a guy, go get your prostate checked or, or whatever. And those things are absolutely necessary. Um, but real preventative health is like transforming your diet, getting away from fried, you know, foods, get it, you know, uh, having a, an act, a more active lifestyle, even if your job requires you to be at a desk for 60 hours a week. Like there are those moments where you can get up and walk, you know, people have pull-up bars in their homes, like the home, uh, like the home health equipment industry, I mean, just exploded during COVID actually, it was impossible to find a kettlebell, uh, to buy, you know, believe me. Cause I know <laughs> I was looking for them. Um, so people are now like, I think coming to grips with this idea, I think about this a lot too, where it's like, I feel like you have more health conscious people now than ever before, where like, when did you ever have a time where there were so many gyms around, you know, and just yeah. your everyday people are just getting workouts in, you know, I don't know if like in the seventies or the eighties, people just like went to the gym as much, you know, or like really geeked out on, um, you know, on health information. So I think we're, I think we've, we're turning the ship around, but there's a long way to go. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, um, one thing I've realized and it's just only accelerated exponentially is, has been the availability of, information to help you, um, um, you know, manage your health, right? Like, like, uh, you know, I'm a huge tennis aficionado. Um, I don't think my tennis game has improved as fast as it did during COVID basically, just cause yeah. I would find all these like videos, uh, um, uh, and, uh, just, you know, they talk about different techniques and I'll just go practice them. And they're just so many, like thousands or tens of thousands of them. Uh, I think the, and I think that's a blessing, but also a curse in a way, because now you need to find the curation of those content to, to make sure you're not, um, you know, like over exercising and then get injured or, uh, or, anything that, or eating the wrong foods that didn't match your, uh, 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 your body type and so on. And I think the, 
uh, that's where I think the expert plays a role, which is in, in curation, right? Like, and um, uh, I, I think the trend of working out at home or working out in your neighborhood gym is here to stay. And I, I don't think it's a, you know, like an ebb and flow kind of thing where, you know, 10 years later, they're not going to do it. That's so much more awareness, like you said, and there's so much more content out there. I think the role of um, uh, experts or, uh, you know, sources of information is really just curating that content through uh, to personalize it to your uh, lifestyle and your particular needs, uh, your body type, your uh, family, uh, family dynamics, all of that stuff. And I think that's where, uh, you know, we see, I, I see more innovation happening. That's all there. Yeah. And I think the, I feel like the structure of the healthcare system has to fundamentally change where, mm-hmm. um, where we stop looking at, uh, like family medical doctors, as the source of who we get our health information from. Okay. Yeah. Very unpopular opinion. I know because people, people hold these doctors on pedestals, but the fact is, is a lot of medical school students just aren't coming out as general practitioners, you know, cause that there's no money in it anymore. It's, you gotta yeah. be a surgeon. You gotta be a specialist. You gotta um, do, do something specific. And you don't want to work that much, right? You don't want to work like where is the reward in having to be the guy or the woman who is the front line uh, when all of the patients are just like, there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is. And you have to have this entire like encyclopedia of knowledge to be like, oh, it's this thing, you know, and then here's the answer. Um, There's just a lot of versus being a guy who's or a person who's my specialty is uh, cardiovascular. My specialty is uh, I'm an endocrinologist. My specialty is skin, my specialty, whatever, right? My specialty is ear, nose, and throat, right? Yeah. Um, so what's happening is we're losing mm-hmm. like your general practitioner, family doctors, or you're going to them and they're just overwhelmed to the point where now it's that that um, kind of cliche visit of you're in there for what, six minutes and you have to, they have to do a full workup on you. And then this is where you get over prescription of antibiotics, over prescription of, um, you know, antidepressants, opioid, like, uh, cholesterol medication, blood sugar, blood pressure, medicate, all these different medications are totally over prescribed because quite frankly, these general practitioners, they just don't have the time to see patients. They also don't have time to keep up with the research. Like it's a lot to ask of one person to say, Hey, I need you to see, I don't know, 20 people a day. Uh, you know, I need you to work 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, be the first person that these people see the first person who they're going to complain to, uh, on top of staying on top of all of the research and all of the information that's out there, of course, you're going to get your data from, uh, you know, some, some like frosted tip pharmaceutical representative who's coming and selling you, uh, telling you that you're going to make more money by pushing their drug. Like they're going to tell you, you know, give you their, their funded studies. They're going to give you their information on their drug. And what are you going to say? No, like you don't have time to read the full PubMed study. It takes forever to read those things. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think what's happening now is you have, we have to have a shift. We have to have a shift where people know, like you have to do the work yourself. You can't count on your GP. And then this is where I see the role of health coaches come in because you see, you see this explosion of health coaches and I'm, you know, I I do health coaching. It's not my full time, but I do it. Um, 
And there are some very good health coaches out there. There's health coaches who used to be like dietitians or they have uh, dietitian backgrounds. Um, but in fact, I actually think more that this is where, and I know I'm loading you up with a lot of stuff right now. I don't mean to ramble, but uh, it's just kind of my thought going through where, you know, we need to integrate like, uh, like naturopathic doctors, right? Because naturopathic doctors, um, uh, DOs, these different kinds of doctors, even chiropractors, I feel like these are the people that should actually be the front lines. Like you should be seeing a health coach first. If you're like in this kind of like preventative health, health maintenance thing, if you have an emergency, then go to the doctor. But if you're just dealing with chronic, like low level stuff, which most of the people that are filling up these emergency room, uh, not emergency, but uh, doctor's office waiting rooms are, you should be seeing a health coach who can spend 30 minutes to an hour with you, give you nutrition plans, give you activity, kind of like what you're doing, get you using wearables and trackers and teach you how to, you know, track nutrition and track things going in and out of your body. And then when you have an emergency and then when something pops up, when you get sick, then you go to the medical doctor, you know, you're doing your checkup with the health coach. You're going to the medical doctor because, you know, I see this dystopian future where, and I feel like we're getting really close to where, you know, healthcare is just skyrocketing through the roof. Now you got COVID. Now you got all these compounding factors. Nobody's paying for pre-existing conditions, you know, where we're going to get to a point where it's going to be all through AI and we're just going to end up going to kiosks and that's going to be your doctor. There's just going to set kiosks up in what used to be doctor's offices. And you can see three people at a time, five minutes at a clip, just, you know, it'll be like a fingerprint or a hand or some way for them to under, to be able to take your vitals and go, here's your pill, bam. And you get the pill. And of course, when the dust settles through all of this, the only one standing, unfortunately, is going to be the pharmaceutical companies because they're the ones who can afford to make their way through all this mess. So um, mm-hmm. that's my soapbox. That's my rant. Uh, you know, hopefully we didn't lose anybody through that. But it's just this is like what I'm thinking about as I'm seeing. I- I've been seeing this catastrophe with healthcare coming for a while, um, yeah. but now I see it actually happening during covid. And I just don't know. I don't know how it's sustainable um, in any yeah. way. Uh, yeah, I think a couple of points really struck me from uh, your statements, which is we just don't have enough doctors and the doctors that are there uh, don't have enough time in the day. Um, and, you know, we are, and it's not a problem that's going to be solved, I think, forever. Like, I don't think you'll ever be able to get enough doctors to so to help 350 million Americans every year. You know, even if you had uh, one for every thousand, <laughs> you're looking at like, you know, 350,000 doctors, that's not happening at all. That kind of tells me that, you know, you need to rely on, uh, for lack of a better word, like a quote unquote, lower skilled force uh, or lower degreed force, but you need to empower them to, with the right resources, uh, the right uh, uh, training and the right uh, quality control systems to basically make sure that they're practicing at the top of their medical license. And, uh, you know, everything they say is evidence-based, but also uh, at the same time, they're also being very personal in their care with you, right? So, and they're almost like your, almost like a friend philosopher or guide for you or navigator for you through the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And they actually start working with you before you get sick. Right. Like, and, and, and by virtue of doing that, they know you 
sometimes better than you know yourself. So I think that there's just like that opportunity uh, uh, that which is where healthcare should be heading uh, in that uh, uh, to help plug the gaps in care. Um, and I think where technology can really play a role there is in um, parsing large amounts of information and summarizing it in a way that's uh, useful, both for you as a consumer, uh, as a patient, uh, but also for the practitioners, the so-called lower level practitioners who are working with you uh, um, uh, to you know, get you the right care as part of it, right? So, so why can't we use AI and NLP to go through all those PubMed articles and then summarize the results uh, in a way that's super easy to consume for the uh, you know, individual person like the the with someone with a you know fifth grade degree of in English uh, uh, proficiency or uh, uh, classroom education, right? So, so that's one thing. I, I think there's a I think another important side of that is you know recovery or care is not just about like pills or interventions. It's about your emotional journey too. Like a lot of patients uh, go through a lot of uh, traumatic events as part of their you know, just simple thing. Like if I found out I have cancer, just it, it, it would be such a immense journey for me personally to uh, just even process that information. Right. So, and I think where uh, these uh, uh, second order practitioners could really help is helping people make sense of their condition and, um, uh, and just walking them through like not, not even, I would say giving the treatment, but just helping them understand, explain to them uh, what they're going through uh, and have them take the call as uh, based on informed decision as well. Um, and I, I, that's kind of the thesis behind how our company is built. We just felt that there's this like huge gap in care with respect to helping people navigate the healthcare system, but also catching them and being their guide uh, from a behavioral standpoint or emotional standpoint uh, as part of their recovery journey, as part of their treatment journey, uh, and or if they're not sick, as part of their health journey in general. Uh, and I think uh, to your point, I think there's a to me, that's the bigger opportunity in healthcare today, uh, really being that person who can um, really work with you and the constraints of the system around you to uh, create something that really makes sense for you to you know, get healthier and also uh, get a, become, quote unquote, a better version of yourself, right? Like as far as it. So uh, some really good points in there and what you said, for sure. And with you guys specifically, um, you know, it sounds like you, you guys work with health insurance, I would imagine, because mm -hmm. that seems to be, you know, like as a health coach, the biggest uh, barrier to people working with me is they want to, and they go, I like your message and I, I feel like you could help me, but you know, I really only do my healthcare through my insurance. And yeah. unfortunately most people are, are kind of like stuck in that paradigm where it's like, yeah, I go to this doctor. He's not great, but he's in my network. And if I don't yeah. go to him, then I'm on the hook for it. And this stuff starts to get expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the health insurance, um, well, let me put it this way. It's necessary, but I think it can improve a lot, uh, in terms of providing access to care, um, uh, for better or for worse. And it's true in most other countries, people don't directly pay for their healthcare for the most part. Right. Like, so, so a lot of what people's decisions, what influences people's decisions is just what is already paid for through their quote unquote membership, right? In the health plan that they have as part of it. Um, and I think the implication for me is that I think um, 
and, and health plans are recognizing it too. And they're really trying to take, make a few, uh, several initiatives around this, which is really focusing on that social determinant of health and covering benefits that can uh, really uh, affect uh, positively a person's social determinant of health. Uh, it, it was interesting. I was in this talk earlier and, uh, you know, the health plan is trying to figure out what what influences cost? Uh, what is the biggest correlate of cost of care for a patient and readmissions and and so on? And they checked all kinds of things. So you know they checked you know their income levels, uh, their uh, you know their previous medical history, what diagnosis they had, and they found that the single biggest correlate was your zip code, basically. Uh, and literally, where you live determines whether you live till eighty five or sixty five. Like th that's 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 like a mind blowing kind of thing, and. That, that was, and then the question is, why is it like that? Uh, and I think that really goes down to like, what are the, uh, what is the environment around you? Like, uh, do you have access to good food or are you just getting like junk food nearby, uh, you know, like or whatever fast food chains are nearby? Uh, or uh, do you, are you living in a safe neighborhood or in a neighborhood where, you know, there's a lot of gun violence, for example. So, and then health plans are starting to sort of uh, figure out how they can be a part of that conversation and part of those communities to reduce it. Because I mean, not uh, obviously from a, altruistic standpoint, it helps their members stay healthier, helps their members stay uh, emotionally well. But from a kind of hard-nosed hard financial standpoint, it, it's lower cost for them. And they're starting to realize that as well. And they're starting to invest in these preventive approaches. But I think that's where we are trying to position ourselves as a company to say, to carry that message forward, to basically say, you know, it's great that you guys are doing this. Here are more ideas that you can do to essentially uh, get that uh, behavioral aspect of care forward, because that's where a lot of the cost savings are for, are for you as a plan and individuals benefit from that as well. And can you give some examples of, of what you're actually doing or what you see some of these health plans doing to, to help that? Because like I, you know, you go through some parts of the country, man, and it's like you, the food desert thing is real, you know, yeah. like there's, you know, there's so, there's a lot of towns in America. Um, many, it's probably majority of cities and towns in America are just, you know, the, the people get their groceries from like a teeny little convenience store, you know? Yeah. Um, so they're not, they're not getting fresh fruits and vegetables or they're not getting good quality and, uh, or they're not, there's no gyms anywhere. Uh, and yeah. it's not even safe to even go out for a walk. Um, so I'm curious, like what you see health plans doing or what your company's doing to actually help create, uh, you know, better conditions like this. Um, so from the health plan perspective, a few things we've seen. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen like in, for example, in, in the South, the food is very rich in salt. Uh, and and uh, when you have a high amount of salt, it leads to higher blood pressure. That leads to all kinds of complications. Uh, and, you know, they, they and so uh, some of the things you've seen health plans do is they basically provide free meals delivered directly to your doorstep, which are low salt content and uh, are also nutritionally sound in other ways too. Like they have the adequate amount of protein, the adequate amount of you know, vegetables and so on and so forth. Um, and they, they do this for members, uh, you know, for example, in their Medicaid populations where, uh, you know, it, it, access to food or like food deserts are, are a real thing. Uh, so that's an example where care is being delivered to the home. Uh, it's uh, helping you address one gap in care, which is 
access to good food uh, and healthy food that can potentially extend your lifespan. Um, uh, and also it's catering to populations by zip code, depending on uh, who they are. And it's kind of strategically targeting them. Um, uh, I would say other types of things specific to movie analytics. One example of thing that we've done is we just made our whole app uh, and our whole technology experience available in Spanish, right? So, and you have specific content uh, that is catered towards Spanish-speaking populations, uh, native Spanish speakers. Uh, that is, you know, even the, the the foods that we talk about are different. Uh, the uh, kind of the uh, uh, social dynamics and social things that we talk about are also different. And we're just creating that custom content that makes the most sense for that population. And we want to extend it to other. Uh, uh, ethnic groups and so on as well. So I think th those are things that where, for example, like you're trying to meet them where they are and not have them um, essentially learn a new culture or learn uh, uh, or, or take extra effort to get the access to care as well. That's part of it. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, I've never heard of the delivering the food to people thing, but that's, um, if that's going on, I mean, that's that's certainly a, a step in the right direction. Um, you know, and then what is, as far as you've seen the, the mental health aspect yeah. or hurdles that you see coming from, you know, post, uh, like post cardio cardiovascular events or, or, or some of the things that you guys work with specifically. So, you know, when you have a heart attack, it's a literally this yeah, a time of 30 seconds could have made the difference between life and death for you. You know, if you had come in 30 seconds later to the hospital, your heart might've given up and you would you know, be dead. And for a lot of patients that, you know, the, uh, the, the act of coming, identifying they had a heart attack, getting checked into the hospital, and then, you know, they're unconscious for a day and then they're awake again, somehow miraculously. It, it's a very, very eye-opening event. And it's also a very traumatic event because you know, now all of a sudden you feel really vulnerable because you thought you were doing okay, but then you almost died because, you know, there was a blockage in your artery or something like that. And then you have all kinds of questions in your head. Like, uh, you know, is it safe for me to even walk now? Uh, is it, uh, how long can I do this? We've had questions like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, can I have uh, sex with my spouse, uh, for example? You know, like these are all things that you, uh, very deep personal questions, but uh, uh, you don't know what they are. Uh, and you're, and in addition, in some cases, because you've had literally had your chest open, you know, you, you could fall into uh, depression. You could fall into this uh, anxiety uh, uh, attacks and so on, because you, it's just a confusing time. And you're also bombarded with a tremendous amount of information there, right? Like when you're in the bed, you just imagine you have all these wires plugged into you, you're on meds, so you're kind of conscious, but not really. And the people are giving you a sheet every five minutes uh, and uh, and you have to like bombard, you bombard all the information. It'd be really tough to um, just parse through all of that and just understand what's important, what's not. And uh, all the, you may not even remember all the instructions. So I think what we've realized is really the value we provide as a service, and I'm sure other services do the same thing for other indications, is really being that navigator in your journey, uh, you know, connecting you to that experienced medical resource like we discussed earlier, who can then say, let's take this step by step, you know, uh, uh, and I can help you prioritize the things that, uh, that make the most sense from a medical perspective and which matter to you as well. Uh, and then just help you recover, you know, from that initial point of vulnerability all the way 
to one year out, two years out, if need be, right? Like, and so, and that you and take you to a place where uh, you probably are even in better health than you were before the heart attack. And that's something that a lot of patients have said. I didn't realize that I could actually get even healthier than I was before, even though I had this traumatic event in my life. Uh, and I think what's key there is because they had that traumatic event, they're willing to do anything to change their lives at that moment. And that's a really good point to tap into their um, uh, psyche to bring about positive behavior change. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it, I hope that it, that's not what it takes for the rest of the country who didn't have heart attacks to change their behaviors. I hope we can get a lot better. But for those who do have it, that is something that's actually an interesting uh, starting point for a new point in their lives as well. And going forward with uh, with moving analytics, um, are you guys solely focused on cardiovascular patients or do you see yourself branching off to help treat other people uh, with other conditions like autoimmunity or cancer or whatever it is? Because um, it sounds like the treatment is is spot on and it sounds like something that really, mm -hmm. you know, if you're doing cardiovascular rehab, um, I understand that's specific, but you know, if you're sending things like, uh, you know, wearable tracking devices and, um, yeah. you know, meeting one-on-one -on -one with specialists, I feel like this can definitely be applied into, you know, any kind of preventative health, um, protocol. Yeah. I think our vision is that this is almost like a digital pill we're prescribing you to use pharma, pharma terminology, right? So, but it's a pill which is designed to get you to adopt healthy behaviors to lower your risk of future disease. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are specific reasons why we picked uh, after a heart attack, which is, you know, it's a really good point for behavior change. But really, this paradigm can be extended to any setting where you want to change behaviors to reduce your risk of future disease in general. So um, you're spot on in that, you know, it could also include people uh, who are looking at weight loss to reduce their hypertension or people who have high blood pressure or people who um, uh, have uh, some uh, like post-cancer recovery, for example, and where cardiovascular health is super important. Um, so all of that, I think is, um, there's also mounting evidence that this, this behavior change paradigm actually really works. And that's, where I really see the vision for us um, in terms of expanding both within the US, but also nationally. And I think if not us, there'll be many more companies that will come up in the space in the future too. So. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. This is so cool to, to have a conversation with you and talk about um, this topic that is, it's so relevant and it's just really where I hope to see the industry go. Um, you know, I used to work for a, a, a medical equipment company and I worked with insurances and man, this was 15 years ago, you know, and it was like, it was a disaster then. And it can only be even more of a disaster now. Um, because, because it's like you said, like nowadays we don't, we shouldn't have to go to see a doctor. We should be able to do this all from home. And, you know, if, again, the pandemic taught us anything, you know, if, if you figured out how to work from home and just think about how much better your life was, like when you didn't have to commute and, you know, bring a lunch with you or go out to lunch every day, which is again, another contributor to chronic disease, right? Eating yeah. out all the time because you don't have your kitchen with you. You know, you could sleep a little longer, immeasurable health benefits from that. You get to see your kids more immeasurable health benefits from that. So why can't we do this with the medical system? You know, why 
can't we do this with, um, you know, these, these things just to keep people out of doctors waiting rooms, you know? So when you do have that emergency, you go and it's not a, it's not such a log jam. Um, it's really cool to see, to see your company, you know, on the forefront, making this accessible to people. So, so that's really cool. Yeah. And I think this is just part of a larger movement. And I'm, um, I think one of the things that I hope more people take from this conversation is just that there's just so many opportunities, not just in cardiovascular care, but in other conditions as well. Uh, And, um, you know, in both in terms of leveraging the power of, uh, you know, human touch, which is not doctors, uh, but also in terms of leveraging technology uh, to scale people further. So where one person can now manage or to help uh, serve, you know, thousands instead of hundreds of people. And I think those are all interesting themes that we'll see more of the coming years as well. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, my man. Um, Harsh, this has been a really fun conversation. I've certainly learned a lot. I'm sure anybody listening or watching uh, would probably agree. If somebody was curious about learning more about moving analytics, how to work with your company, if they had any questions, where would you send them online? Uh, definitely go to our website, www.movinganalytics.com or send us an email, hello at movinganalytics.com or uh, reach out to us on Twitter at Moving Analytics. Uh, we're here for you and happy to answer your questions. Fantastic. And we will link to all of that in the show notes in the podcast description when this is all released. Harsh, thanks again for joining me today on the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Listener, viewer, to learn more, head on over to movinganalytics.com, find Harsh on Twitter. And to learn more about Holistic Nootropics, head on over to holisticnootropics.com or just spend some time Take a gander, forget about your obligations, your children, your homework, your work things. Spend some time over at the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page and get all caught up in what we're doing here. Otherwise, we will catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.